welcome in. It's episode 67 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. Doug, it's a fun one this week, so let's get right into the Canucks game flight. The Canucks started off a mini two-game set against the Toronto Maple Leafs with a 3-1 victory. Jake Vertanen tripled his goal totals for the year by scoring two. Thatcher Demko made 32 saves in the victory. Well, I love saying this. The Canucks beat the Leafs again, 4-2. This was the first time all year the Canucks won a game when they were trailing after two periods. Big nights for Besser and Miller and, of course, Thatcher Demko. And the Canucks continued their hot streak on Monday with a 2-1 shootout victory against the Montreal Canadiens. Adam Gaudet scored the tying goal with less than a minute left in regulation. Well, hey, Doug, that's the first time since we brought in the game flight that we went 3-0 or had any sort of undefeated. That feels pretty good. Yeah, it does, uh, especially against three opponents like the Leafs, or pardon me, two opponents like the Leafs and the Canadians. Uh, the Canadians were beating us down pretty hard earlier in the season, and the Leafs also, uh, there was that one game, I think, uh, where Austin Matthews kind of took over, and Chatfield hasn't seen the ice since. But uh, but yeah, it was, a, it was a solid victory for the Canucks, uh, those three wins in a row. Let's hope that they can keep it going uh, heading into the game on Wednesday. We got a lot to talk about this episode. There's tons coming up. We're going to talk about everything on the ice from those three games. We've got thoughts on the Benning press conference, some trade rumors floating around the team, touching in with a little bit with the Comets, a full segment of Around the Room. Of course, the free pour and chirping. Uh, we're going to have to be on it, I think, today, Doug. And you know what? Uh, I got to warn you is I did something that I don't normally do. I went for a little walk before this and went down to my favorite little coffee shop and had a macchiato because I was just fading. I, I got up early for a run this morning and I didn't sleep very well last night. And so I had a macchiato. And now to kind of balance myself out, Doug, I'm going to crack this beer here. I've got myself a dry hopped sour from R&B, the new Brighton. So uh, this uh, this is going to, between this and the coffee, I'm going to be well balanced for this episode, I think. Nice. Uh Ooh, that was a good that was a good crack open as well. I gotta say, <laughs> cheers. Yeah, I'm I'm not drinking at the moment, but uh, cheers, Pete. Uh, big sour fan over here. So uh, let me know how that one is. Yeah, so far so good. Just had a nice little sip. So between the caffeine and uh, the sour, I should be bringing my A game. Um, I also wanted to talk to you, Doug, about something I saw on your Twitter feed. Uh, I saw you have already visited the movies pop up here in Vancouver. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, so uh, one of our co-workers, Pete, uh, Matt, shout out Matt Stewart, uh, he uh, bought a bunch of tickets because you could pre-order the tickets online. Uh, so he got four tickets for us, and then one of our other colleagues, Benny, uh, he bought four tickets as well. Uh, so Matt ordered some burgers, some fries, and you know a few beers, some movie-labeled uh, beers as well. And uh, unfortunately, you couldn't eat in there, so you just kind of put the order in had a certain time you had to go pick it up and then we were just figuring out where to go. So we decided to go to uh, one of the basements at work and just, uh, you know, eat our burgers and fries down there and talk about some Kevin Smith movies. And uh, yeah, it was all right. You know, it was a 45 minute little hangout and we were all nicely socially distanced. I uh, set up on a nice little table saw for my, uh, for my meal. And uh, yeah, it was really cool though. Really, really cool. That explains the table saw. I thought you were doing some apartment rentals or something. And that's very mall rats of you eating it all in the basement as well. You just need to break out some NHL 94 or something as well. Also, have you been paying attention to just news coming out of the NFL just before we get into the NHL stuff? There's been a, a lot happening. Of course, my Seahawks and Russell Wilson don't seem to be getting along too well, but some other news coming out of the NFL. So just anything catch your eye that you wanted to touch on briefly? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, Dak Prescott finally got paid. Uh, I'm not a Cowboys fan whatsoever. They're probably the team I hate the most in the NFL. Um, but Dak Prescott got paid. Good for him, especially coming off that gruesome injury last year. Uh, obviously, his future was a little bit in doubt with the Cowboys, so I'm glad he got his money. Um, yeah, the Russell Wilson situation. I, I don't know, Pete. You know, What are your thoughts on that? Because as a Seahawks fan, it's, it's not looking good. It looks like Wilson is doing everything but demanding a trade. 
Yeah, I mean, I I, I kind of get why he's upset. Is I mean, you look at these other elite quarterbacks around the league, and some of the guys just like like I think of Brady and Rodgers right off the top of my head. They have all the time in the world in the pocket to to throw the ball. Even Philip Rivers last year with the the Colts, he he had a ton of time. And Wilson just keeps getting hit. He was hit more than any other QB in the league last year. So I get why he's frustrated. But, yeah, I don't know, man. I, unless uh, the Seahawks and him get on the same page and bring in a good offensive line and a good running game, um, you know, maybe maybe his time is done. Um, I can live with that if that happens. The Bears are a front runner. So we'll see. Um, also saw Aaron Jones got uh, released by the Packers as well. So that was some other big news that kind of jumped out at myself. Oh, wow. I missed that one. Yeah, I saw Allen Robinson's got franchise tagged by the, by the Bears. Um, there was a couple other moves uh, obviously, J.J. Watt signed with the Arizona Cardinals. That was kind of last week, not this week. But, you know, that's a that's a huge uh, free agent signing for the Arizona Cardinals, and good for them. I think, you know, he'll definitely help solidify that defense, and him and DeAndre Hopkins get reunited. And that's going to put further pressure on the Seahawks and Wilson as well. We are on Twitter as well. You can... Follow me at Pete underscore gas. And we have the podcast at Canucks speak. Give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn and Pete and I are still putting together this ever growing outro playlist on Spotify. It's the Canucks speakeasy outro playlist. Make sure you give that a follow. Give it a listen. Uh, there's some really funky jams on there and there'll be another one added today. I think you're going to want to hear this. <laughs> I'm just playing. I'm, I'm having fun here at the hockey game. So, Doug, let's get into hockey now. Let's get into around the room. So around the room where we kind of touch on issues around the NHL that aren't really Canucks related, just kind of get a swarmed up a little bit for when we do talk about the Canucks. Uh, and I wanted to start things off with what I feel is the biggest news of the week, and that was the passing of Walter Gretzky. And I just wanted to start it off with, um, I have a, a little bit of a Walter story that I, I shared on Twitter, is that the start of the Olympics back in 2010, Walter Gretzky ran right by our work early in the morning with the torch. It was part of the final run uh, into Vancouver towards, uh, I guess they were going to BC Place for the opening ceremony that day, but high-fived me right at the corner, Granville and Nelson. Uh, that was kind of my... Walter Gretzky moment, but I feel like he's one of those people that everyone in Canada seems to have some sort of Walter story moment, or at least knows who he is. Yeah, I, obviously really sad, and condolences go out to the Gretzky family. Uh, you know, he's the hockey dad, right? Like, he's the prover proverbial hockey dad. He was amazing with the fans. He would always go out of his way to sign autographs, acknowledge the fans, and yeah, he was just, you know, he meant a lot, obviously, to a lot of kids growing up and seeing him constantly cheer on Gretzky and him and Wayne had that, you know, that, you know, beautiful, you know, father-son relationship. And you see a lot of hockey parents, you know, these days that are really aggressive and over the top and yelling at, you know, their kids or other players or the refs. And, you know, you never really saw, you never saw that from Walter Gretzky. Yeah, it's like the first father of hockey is is kind of a nice way to put it. Uh, he'll be missed. It's a it is a big story in all of hockey and in uh, of course in Canada even more so. But um, that's definitely for me. That was the big story of the week. So I just wanted to again give my condolences to the Gretzky family and uh, you know the whole country definitely feels that one. Yeah, I agree. Moving a little bit south in Alberta. I wanted to touch on what happened with the Flames. So the Flames won, and then afterwards, they fire their head coach and bring back a familiar face that uh, I'm sure everyone in Vancouver has not missed at all, but Daryl Sutter back behind the bench of the Calgary Flames. Yeah, that was kind of a shock, uh, I, I got to admit. I know there was rumblings about Ward getting uh, canned in Calgary for a few weeks prior to them actually pulling the trigger, and... Uh, having Daryl Sutter step right in afterwards. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of funny. Maybe this is why all the Gillis talk keeps happening in Vancouver because, you know, the Flames have gone back to that well. Why can't the Canucks do the same? Uh, jokes aside there, you know, 
yeah, Sutter had some issues when, you know, the last little bit of time he was in LA, but he's a Stanley Cup winning coach. I do think he is a good coach, but he is a guy that does have a limited shelf life. And I do think players will tend to tune him out sooner than later. That kind of style of coach doesn't have the same effectiveness as they did maybe 10, 15 years ago. You know, I think Torts right now, you're seeing the end of the line of him in Columbus, I think. I won't be surprised if this is the last year Torts is in Columbus. Uh, but this is hopefully to try to give Calgary a bit of a boost. They made some massive free agent signings this offseason, most notably all the Canucks free agents they seem to sign. And they've been a disappointment this year. And I, there's lots of rumors about Johnny Goudreau maybe getting traded and the fact that he, a lot of people don't think he's ever going to plan to sign an extension with the team. Uh, Sean Monaghan has really regressed as a player the last three, four years, in my opinion. And uh, yeah, this is going to give them that bit of a Sutter injection, I guess. Sutter's certainly that old school coach, right? And that's something that in Vancouver, when Elaine Vigneault left, a lot of people said he's, he's a coach that's better suited for a veteran team and not necessarily with the young guys. Now, I don't know if you could say the same thing about Sutter, if that's the case, but you can say that he is certainly of that old school breed. Uh, and Calgary is in an interesting situation. I mean, Goudreau is UFA after this season, or sorry, after next season. Monaghan's got a couple of years left, and then he's UFA. Uh, they spent a lot of money, and they have uh, they have a few guys under contract pass there, but really they've got a lot of money tied up with their, their top four blue liners as well. It's going to be interesting to see what they do. Is it a coaching thing? Is it a personnel thing? We'll have to find out. Hopefully not a lot of success. Hopefully the Flames continue to regress because the Canucks need all the help they can get right now to try and climb back into this playoff race. Yeah, that's an understatement. Next thing I want to touch with you about is the NHL draft. And this is something we've kind of heard rumblings about. And we've even talked about when is the right time to talk about this, but talks are heating up as to what to do with the NHL draft. It's currently scheduled for July, and there's been a lot of different things that have been put out there, whether get moving the draft back to December, moving it all the way back to next June and doing a double draft, whether you give teams some extra picks to kind of make up for the fact that it's all just shots in the dark here. But if it was up to you, Doug, what would you do with the draft? Would you keep it where it is right now? Would you add on more rounds if you do so? Would you move it to a later date? What do you think is the best course of action for this? I mean, yeah, that's that's really putting me on the spot. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. Like, I, it's It's got to be hard for the players who are meant to be or that are draft eligible this year and the teams, right? A lot of these players aren't playing games, so it's really hard to see, you know, how they've developed and if they've developed uh, from last year to this year, the most logical thing would be to probably move the draft back till next year, or at least later in the year, maybe have it just before the season starts uh, next year. So maybe you push the draft back to, you know, September or uh, I don't know. Um, the double draft does that, seems. Does that do anything though? Cause you still wouldn't have seen any games if all the leagues are restarting in September. I mean, and that's the reason why people are saying Christmas is at least you then get maybe like 30 games of CHL hockey. Yeah. I guess the problem with the Christmas though, is that if the season, I guess it depends on when some of those uh, college seasons are starting because I mean, if a player, if you, if you push the draft back that long and a player that would theoretically be ready to make the jump this year or was planning to do a year of college and then make the jump next year is having to give up their entire season next year as well to play college hockey. Uh, obviously some of the overseas and uh, European leagues play hockey around Christmas. Um, I, I guess the most logical thought would be to push it back to next year. Let these players have an extra year to develop and play games and you do the double draft. Uh, but I love the draft. It's like one of my favorite things uh, during a hockey season. Uh, we obviously went to the draft a couple of years ago, the year the Canucks uh, drafted Pod Colson and Hoglander. And yeah, to not have a draft till next year would definitely, as a fan and from my own selfish perspective, would suck. It would. I just feel this year, I mean, there's also some uh, CBA implications. There's Seattle and what happens with them not having any draft picks to start the season. I have a feeling they're going to push forward with it, but I do think that really diminishes the value of draft picks this year because it is a larger crapshoot. So maybe they add in an eighth or a ninth round and 
just have even more crap shoots. I don't know. I think it's going to be tough to move it. I would like to see it move personally just because I, I don't think, you know, I mean, this with, with our luck, this would be the year that Canucks get the first overall pick. It would be uh, the, the most crap shoot of all years to get it. Um, but I would prefer to move it. I think a double draft would be really cool. I think a December draft would be really cool. But I know all the leagues around the world are trying to restart normal seasons come October. So the draft would be kind of still one last wrinkle from COVID into everything if that was the case. A couple other quick hits around the league. Tom Wilson gets suspended a bunch, seven games. What do you think about that? Is that the right amount for him? I think it is. He's definitely a repeat offender. I was still a little bit shocked that they uh, gave him seven games. I didn't think they would give him that many games considering, uh, you know, we are playing in such a condensed and uh, shortened season. Seven games is a lot. Uh, but I do think it's deserved. He is a repeat offender. He's a guy that constantly plays on the edge. Reminds me a lot of a Matt Cook kind of player. And, you know, it, it's a shame because he's actually really talented. I actually think Tom Wilson, you know, does have some hockey skill. And, you know, he, he does have a nose for the net. And he can, you know, be, you know, a bit of an offensive dynamo. But he just, he's got to get that kind of late, dirty hit plays out of his game. It's one-eighth of the season in an 82-game season. That would be 10 games, so getting seven. I think seven's about the right call. It was going to be a five minimum with him, so I'm okay with it as well. But, yeah, you're right. The Matt Cook comparisons is a, is a good one as well. Um, Tom Wilson certainly has more top six upside than, than old Matt Cook did. Um, Brent Seabrook, local boy announces he's not going to play anymore, whether it's a retirement or he's not going to play. I mean, it's. I think he's obviously not fully retiring because he wants to get his paycheck, but he says he's not going to play anymore. Longtime Chicago Blackhawk, longtime tormentor of the Canucks doing those great battles with the Hawks back in the late 10s, early teens. What do you think about Seabrook's decision? Are you surprised at all by it? I mean, he hasn't been anywhere near the effective defenseman he was, like, six, seven years ago. Uh, so it sounds like it's a hip injury or a nagging injury that's been bothering him for years. I know there's a lot of people who kind of look at it and, you know, they think of Marion Hosa and, oh, this seems very, very convenient for Seabrook to to retire, but not to go on permanent LTIR essentially until his contract's up. Blackhawks get a major cap relief because of that. Uh, and especially this year with how well the Blackhawks have been playing. Uh, you know, now this gives him a chance to maybe add at the deadline. I know Buffalo looks like a, you know, a tire fire at the moment. So maybe they look at adding a guy like um, Taylor Hall or, you know, maybe they make a blockbuster trade and they send Patrick Kane back to Buffalo where he's originally from and, from and try to get Jack Eichel. I highly doubt that happens, especially with that's, how effective Kane's been this happen. year. I know, I, think I know. Pat, I think Patrick Kane's like third in the league in scoring. I, I don't think he's going anywhere. No, no. I Again, I'm just making a stupid joke there. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know what? For Seabrook, for Seabrook, yeah, I mean, he, you know, he was, he was a tormentor of the Canucks for years on that, you know, the, the late teens, or pardon me, early 2010s uh, Chicago Blackhawk team. And, you know, it sucks to see a guy having to retire like that. And, you know, you wish him the best and, Hopefully he's making the right decision for his long-term health and his family. For sure. Wish, wish him all the best local guys. Well, so uh, hopefully he remains involved in the hockey community here in Vancouver. Last thing, uh, ESPN looks to be in the works to acquire NHL rights on a seven year deal. Nothing's official yet, but that could be huge for the league getting back away from NBC, getting onto ESPN. It's also of course, under the Disney umbrella. So maybe there could be some serious hockey content that comes to the Disney streaming services as well. Um, what do you think, Doug? Would this be a good move going to ESPN instead of what they currently have with NBC may mean some personnel changes, which I'd be fine with. I don't think I'm not a biggest fan of a lot of the NBC commentators and, and color people. Uh, but what do you think? Yeah, I think it'd be great for the NHL. I, I think, you know, getting them more national televised games across the country in the U.S. is a big deal. This will also put more money in all of the teams and the team owners' pockets, which in turn would create greater TV revenue and should bring up the salary cap. And hopefully that flat cap that Bettman talked about being the next three, four years, maybe it's only a flat cap for next year. In the following year, it's going to go up. Um, so we should see a big cap boom if this deal does go through. And I think more national attention for the NHL in the U.S. is is 
a positive all around. Yeah, for sure. And uh, getting back onto ESPN, I, I think it's great. And hopefully they can up the product in the States because, you know, I've, I've watched a lot of American feeds and some of the I feel some of the broadcasts are really missing the mark and not doing any favors to the game, especially in some of the markets that are, are quite big hockey markets. So I would like to see a bit of a change down there to what they do. And I think ESPN could do a better job. And again, coming under Disney could be some really interesting stuff that happens with the streaming services as well. Doug, let's get into the chirpin segment where we touch on tweets from around the Canucks Twitter sphere. It's been another eventful week out there for for tweeting, and uh, I got one to start us off here, Doug. If you are ready, I'm ready. So this comes from Quinn Hughes, BLM, also known as Riot Survivor, and he tweets. Top five most overrated Canucks ever. I think you're going to like this, or at least it's going to get a reaction out of you. Number one, Alex McGillney. Number two, Dennis Kearns. Number three, Richard Berdur. Number four, Anson Carter. Number five, Peter Nedved. Uh, yeah, I, I saw this tweet, and I had some uh, some feelings about it, and uh, I disagree. Uh, I think uh, Alex McGillney is uh, one of my favorite Canucks of that area. I know it was a short period he was with the Canucks and I know he uh uh you know the end of his time with the Canucks wasn't great you know we ended up trading him to the Devils and got Brendan Morrison in return uh so and that was Dennis a, Peterson and Dennis Peterson yeah so you know that was a net positive for the Canucks uh I don't think McGillney's the most overrated Canuck of all time I mean a guy scores over 50 goals in the Canucks uniform I think it was only done once before and that was Pavel Bure hard to say that that person's overrated he didn't play a lot like he didn't have a long career with the Canucks, so maybe that's where Riot Survivor was coming from. I would also say a guy that I think deserves to be at least considered as one of the more overrated Canucks is Kirk McLean. I, you know, and look, I love Kirk, Captain Kirk. I know, I know, I love Captain Kirk. I, I really do. And that run he was on with the Canucks ninety three ninety four. But outside of that run of the playoffs, McLean was a very average goalie. I disagree with you on that one. I'm a big Kirk McLean fan, but uh, I, I, you're, you're, you're allowed your opinion, even if I think you're wrong. Out of that list, Peter Nedved was one that jumped out of me. He was, I don't know if he's, he was very hyped out of that draft class and also playing down in Seattle. He was very hyped. I'd say more disappointing than overrated for him, but uh, I think that's a, that's a fair one in there. Yeah, I agree with the Nedved comment. He was more overhyped than overrated. I don't think any any Canuck fan that was, you know, remembered the Nedved era thought that he was amazing or he had any amazing uh, seasons as a Canuck. My first chirp comes from Neutral Dave. You can follow him at Neutral underscore Dave. So we just stuck with a 1-3-1 power play set up for a 5-on-3. Think people figured that out already? No. Box plus one, one-timer options, down-low outlets, slowly creep in for closer shots. Easy stuff, no? This is referring to the five-on-three against Montreal? Yes. Yeah, that was uh, that was frustrating. I mean, uh, I, there's still tweets going out there about that today. Um, one thing I really noticed from that, though, uh, that really stood out, and and uh, who was that again? Who, uh, who was that tweet from? Uh, Neutral Dave. So one thing that Dave said in there that really stood out for me is is uh, is the traffic and and the, the way they were setting up. There was no traffic in front of the net there, and that's where the Canucks had a lot of success was getting pucks to the net. Uh, sorry for the old cliche, but creating traffic, and there was nothing there. It was incredibly frustrating. There was even one point when they were breaking back into the zone where Hughes did the my you know well, you know what I'm going to say here the drop pass. Um, it was just. Uh, Every time in that game where Montreal had three skaters on the ice was when the Canucks were at their worst. Uh, the three-on-three overtime, with the exception of the Besser move, and that five-on-three. The Canucks just seemed to just tone it down a bit. Uh, really frustrating power play. They need to adjust with that. Um, even uh, just, I, I remember, I think as well in that when Hughes played a shorter bit and uh, Schmidt came on for a part of that as well. But... I, 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 yeah, it was, it was a real frustrating one. Whatever they're doing, they need to have different looks. I'm looking at you, Noel Brown, kind of get this together because that one had a whole lot of nothing going on and Montreal had figured it out pretty quickly. And you may have Tyler Toffoli to thank for that one. All right. My second one for you, Doug, is from Hockey Vancouver and you can follow them at Hockey Vancouver. 
I agree with most of you. Keep Miller at C and roll three lines. Petey can skate with monkeys and still produce. I'm not worried. Yeah, I mean, I'm of two minds. Like, I definitely think that gives you, that should, in theory, give you more balanced scoring through the top nine. I know you're always preaching top nine, Pete. Um, I'm so, so sick of saying top six, man. I'm so sick of it. And I agree. I think the good teams in the NHL do have a top nine, not a top six. I just don't know if the Canucks have enough depth at the winger position to be able to pull that off. Uh, You know, you're going to have Brandon Sutter playing on PD's wing. No, thank you. Uh, I have like Mark Michaelis, his game. I do think, you know, he's, he's quick out there and, you know, he seems to be a bit of a driver of the play, which is great. I'd like to see more Michaelis. I'd like to see more Jace Howerluck. Um, obviously, you know, we're big Zach McEwen fans. The fact that Zach McEwen isn't, you know, getting to suit up game in game out for the Canucks is a bit of a disappointment. I, I would at least try it. I would at least try running with the three centers of Petey, Horvat, and Miller for a couple of games, see how it works. But I do worry that the Canucks just don't have the winger depth to be that effective. Yeah, that's completely fair. I mean, with uh, Vertanen and Gaudet underachieving for a lot of this year, you need those guys to really get going or someone else to catch fire a bit. Even Tyler Mott would go well in a third-line winger role if given the right opportunity, I feel. I think he he was a scorer and junior, and he's adapted his game, but he's got the speed. He'd be another guy who I'd be more than happy with. But I'd really like to see Benning kind of or, – or sorry, I guess Travis Green think a bit more outside the box here in, in terms of just rolling the same stuff all the time. But it's got something that seems to be working right now, so I just wanted to chuck that one out at you. Look at you just blaming Benning for everything, hey? Oh, you you know it. Anything that happens, I'm out of beer. <laughs> Benning's fault as well. And hey, I'm not a Benning lover either. Uh, just he's our GM, and yeah, that's a whole. That we'll get into more Benning later. We got uh, we got some notes on the press conference. All right, and my final chirp is from Jared Chan. You can give him a follow at Jared Chan underscore. And this is actually uh, three kind of consecutive tweets here. So bear with me. Demko was up to a .916 save percentage and a 2.75 goals against. 534 saves on 583 shots. 49 goals against on 1,067 and a half time minutes on ice. One shutout, and he breaks the 0-13 record when being scored on first. Demko has a 0.962 save percentage and a 1.19 goals against in his past five games with a 4-1 record. That's uh, stupefying numbers. There's no Canucks fan out there who's been watching games who cannot be impressed with what we're seeing from Thatcher Demko. Now, Demko, like a lot of the team, was slow to start the season. And there's obviously a lot of factors with that and We don't need to get into the excuses. But regardless, the team has also gotten better in front of him defensively. And Demko has really gotten back into bubble Demko, as as we like to call him. Um, I can't be more impressed with this guy. Uh, You know, I love Markey. And for most of last year, I was saying the Canucks have to keep Markey. But they got to figure out a way that they don't lose Thatcher Demko to Seattle. Because Seattle would just be drooling at that prospect. Losing Markey was the right decision because there's no way the Canucks can offer a six by six when you have a, a guy like Demko there. But man, Demko, he looks like a world beater. He looks Vesna worthy at this stage. Like, I mean, it's not completely unheard of that he could get himself into the Vesna conversation if he plays this way for the rest of the season. And I, I don't think he will. I mean, this is obviously I'm, I'm looking at with Homer glasses on. But those numbers are ridiculous. And he's already been twice this year in one of the three stars of the week for the NHL. So if he could get into that conversation and the Canucks miss the playoffs, that just tells you something even more. It just accentuates the fact of just how good Thatcher Demko really is. I'm a I'm a huge fan of this guy. I see goalie of the future, and uh, he will one day have a Vesna nomination, I, I feel, if not this year, but another year. Because just the way he plays is is it's fantastic. It's fundamentally really strong. I, I love the, his style. He doesn't go down too early. He covers the net. He's quick. 
He adapts. He reads plays through screens really well. Uh, very impressed. And also the way he controls rebounds. And that's my was my one knock on Markey is that sometimes he would make the save, which is great, but he'd give up the juicy rebound. And that was the only thing with him. And, and I feel Demko's got a little bit better puck control with smothering the pucks and getting it right on the crest as well. So, yeah, nothing but praise for Demko over here. Yeah, I agree. I think Demko, uh, outside of Vasilevsky and uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, he's probably been one of the better goalies uh, in the NHL this past month or so. Early in the year when he was struggling, he also wasn't getting the goal support. Uh, Holpe was getting all the goal support, but you know, still letting in those soft goals and the Canucks were losing. And Demko was losing games when he wasn't getting any goal support. So, you know, we're starting to see the goal support for Demko on his starts. I'm glad Green, you know, has played him the last three games. And I hope he gets the next game in Montreal to, uh, Wednesday night as well. And, you know, like even in those the three games there against the two against Toronto and the one against Montreal, the team is still in regulation, averaging under three goals for a game. So he's not getting a ton of goal support, but the Canucks are at least getting a few. He's at what was that, that 119 goals against or something you said in that tweet from Jared? Uh, it's something ridiculous. Like, I mean, anything below two is great, but getting below 1.5, 1.4 uh, on a stretch of games, that's that's insane. Yeah, his past five games, he's got a 119 goals against and a 962, a 962 save percentage. Those are like those are insane numbers. Now they're certainly unsustainable numbers, but we saw this again in in a pocket against Vegas last year too. So he can get on these streaks, and this is kind of that's like peak because those really are unsustainable in in my opinion. But to do that over five games in the NHL uh, against some of those teams, yeah, that, that's. That's impressive. Uh, I love it. So, Doug, that's a, as good a place as any is to start the rest of our Canucks conversation here with uh, a little bit more on Thatcher Demko and just what he's brought. Now, it's, it's been obvious that the Canucks were splitting goalie duties for most of the first 20 games, 25 games or so, and it is definitely shown to anyone who's watching the Canucks that Demko has pulled away with the starting job now. So what do you think... With the remaining half of the schedule here, what do you think the workload is going to be on Demko and as opposed to Holtby? How much do you think we're going to see Holtby down the stretch here? I mean, I would assume it's probably going to be a 70-30 split. At least that's what I would try to do if I was in uh, Coach Green's shoes. I think Demko has proven that he should be the number one goalie moving forward, and he deserves the bulk of the games. I think... I think it's Holby will be back-to-back scenarios pretty much exclusively. What do you think? Yeah, I would still even like to see Demko be given a back-to-back. I mean, why not? We saw Markstrom last year given uh, ample back-to-back opportunities. Markstrom just came back off injury from the Calgary Flames and Sutter threw him in back-to-back. So I don't understand why there's this fear to put Demko in a back-to-back set. If he's hot, you keep riding that hot goaltender. So I just did some quick looking here, and I can only see two back-to-backs for the Canucks for the rest of the way. It looks like March 19th and 20th, they have a back-to-back against the Habs. And then April 3rd and 4th, they have a back-to-back on the road, Edmonton and Winnipeg. So that seems a likely one. But besides that, those it looks to me, and again, I'm just doing this quickly, just scanning the schedule, but it looks to me like those are the only two back-to-backs the Canucks have the rest of the way, which again is... Canucks, all of a sudden, they had an absolute shit schedule to start, but maybe down the stretch, this if, if there's going to be opportunities for arrested Demko, I think it could be even more than a 70-30, and I kind of hope it does. I, young guy, hasn't played a lot. Like, ride him out, man. Ride him. Yeah, I agree. I, I he, he deserves the opportunity. He's proving he can play in those big spots and, you know, keep your team in the game. I mean, last night was a perfect example. The Canucks were or sorry, the game on Monday was the perfect example. The Canucks were losing, and Demko kept it, kept it a one-goal game, and he thankfully got at, ripped that shot last minute, you know, in the last minute of play to tie the game and send it to overtime. Demko was making big save after big save to make sure the Canucks' lead didn't slip, and I believe the Toronto, one of the games of the Toronto series as well, I think it was the, the second game, the Canucks were actually down 2-1 heading into the third, and then they had that explosion in the third period to pull off the 4-2 win. And that was mostly because Demko kept that game a 2-1 game. Yeah, against Toronto, uh, I believe Toronto has the most goals in the league. I I mean, just quickly again, scanning. Yeah, they do. They lead the league in goals. That's no small feat. And I also like to point out that the Canucks are at home this year. They're 5-0 against teams from Ontario. And Demko, though, the last 
two games against Toronto and that game against Montreal, he was he's fantastic. Even Montreal, again, Montreal scored the early goal, and that's something that we've just dreaded this year. And the Canucks came back, and granted it was in overtime, but still got it with the late goal, which was, man, what a sweet shot that was. And you talk about getting the monkey off uh, off his back there. Like, that, that was impressive. But I, I do think that Demko is you get that goalie and you saw this with the Canucks last year when when Markey was hot the team was confident and that seems to be showing through now with Demko they've got the belief with him and again I also got to give credit to the blue line uh the blue line has played much better in front of him as well with especially like guys like Myers and Hamannick uh, I thought they I think they've played well lately yeah Hamannick since coming back uh from that injury he's looked like he's a lot more comfortable out there and he's used to the system that he's playing and, you know, Tyler Myers, I'm not the biggest Tyler Myers fan, but he does deserve a bit of credit. He has played a lot better the last few games here since the Canucks have been on this winning streak. I believe he's actually got the most points for the Canucks defenseman, or maybe it's Schmidt. It was e- either him or Schmidt have the most points the last four or five games. It was Myers. It is Myers. Okay. Yeah. Um, You, you like to see that, right? But, you know, Myers... You know he's going to make those massive gaffes. For every great play Myers makes, he's going to make three terrible plays or take two awful penalties. It just or is what a, it is with him. Or take a two-minute, two-and-a-half-minute shift or something. You know, and, like, and that's the thing with Myers. I know we've talked about this before. Is I can never quite figure out what I think of this guy. But I, I will give him credit because I think he's had a better run of games lately. Uh, maybe it's just finding the right partner or finding the right spot or finding the right system. Uh, going back to Travis Hamnick, though, seven blocks against Montreal. That's that's some Chris Tanev shit right there. Yeah, Hamnick, Hamnick was looking really good the last few games. I know he was getting underneath uh, Corey Perry's skin la- uh, on the game against the Canadians as well, which is always great to see. Um, I like Hamnick. I, 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 he had a rough start. You know, at the beginning of the year, he didn't have a training camp. He was having to quarantine. He signed that contract really late into the season. Uh, Obviously, he got injured fairly early in the season as well. And since he's had time to kind of get more acclimated to the team, the structure they want to play, he's looked pretty good out there. He really has. It sucks because we haven't got to see Ole Olevi slot back in. Um, yeah. and Jordy Ben's the other guy who, you know, I wasn't thinking we we're going to get much out of Jordy Ben this year. And he's been a pleasant surprise as well. I know you've been tooting the Jordy Ben horn all year. I and have. Yeah. It, it's a bit annoying to see, uh, you'll levy being the guy that's, you know, losing that opportunity, but you know, it is what it is. And I do think right now the top six defensemen for the Canucks are the guys getting out there game in game out. I thought you were going to say it was a bit annoying having me talk about Jordy Ben all the time. Um, I, he was a guy I picked at the start of the year, and maybe it's the Victoria in me, uh, who I thought could be an unsung hero for this team just because of where he was slotting in as a guy who can play both sides as a number seven defenseman on a team that notoriously has had defensemen injured. You expect Edler to miss sometimes. You have a couple rookies that you're looking at as well. It is unfortunate that Ole Yolevi is the guy who misses out, but I can't really blame green too much on this one as much as i want to see you levy in there he is next man up and he will be in there but there isn't anyone right now that i would take out especially with the team winning three in a row so unfortunately unless you're dressing seven defensemen which isn't going to happen you levy's going to sit yeah i mean unless uh, alex biega was still on the team and then he could also <laughs> shuffle up to be play the winger uh yeah like you said that's not going to happen we've been doing it as well with Without Petey, the last three games, 3-0 without Petey, which is just one of those weird things in sports that, that doesn't make any sense, and I wouldn't read too much into that. But with that, I feel like we've seen JT Miller hit another gear. Brock Besser continues to have a year, man. Like Besser leads the team in scoring. He's been fantastic. But it's been really great to see some of these guys step up in the, the top six. And, and, and as much as we give Jake crap, he had that two-goal game against Toronto – He's played better. Has he played like the Jake we all want consistently? No, he hasn't. But he, again, I got to give the guy credit. He's been better. Nice to see Adam Gaudet get the monkey off his back. I've enjoyed the insertions of Howerluck and Michaelis into the lineup as well. It's brought a different element, I feel, to this team. So collectively, overall, yeah, it's hurt not having Petey there. But for you, who has really jumped out in his absence in the forward core? I mean, the easy and simple answer is uh, JT Miller, right? Miller playing yeah. the center spot. He he's looked really good. He's looked really comfortable, and he's looked like he's really wanted to take on this new 
challenge. And I say that he's played center before in his career. So it's not like, you know, he's being thrown into a position he's never played before. He, he's got tons of experience playing center. But, you know, since he's been a Vancouver Canuck, he's played the majority of his time on the wing here. Uh, so he's looked really good. Uh, look, I'm the first guy that has been extremely hard on Jake Vertanen. I got to give, like you said, a shout out to Vertanen. He got, he was really getting under Austin Matthews' skin in that little two-game set against the Leafs. And I thought Vertanen's played some of his best hockey. He's been engaged. I think that's the one thing most people have criticized Vertanen for. It's just his lack of engagement, game in, game out. One game, he looks great. You notice him. He's finishing his checks. He's getting hard on the forecheck. He's driving the puck towards the net. And then the next game, you don't even notice him. You know, you're noticing guys like Louis Erickson and Jay Beagle and Brandon Sutter more than you're noticing a guy like Jake Vertanen. And the other guy I've really liked is uh, Mark Michaelis. Uh, he, you know, he, he, him and Howerluck being put in the lineup, I think it's really added uh, more speed to that bottom six. And that's what mm-hmm. that bottom six has really been lacking is that speed. I, I agree with that. It's, and and like, like I touched on earlier there, I, I was, I'm glad you're tooting Michaelis's horn because I really liked what I saw from Jace Howerluck. And I put out a tweet last night saying that I would really like to one day see a line of Mott, Howerluck, and McEwen. Of course, one, only one of those three guys played last night, but I thought that could be a really interesting line, like a three and a half line. You know, like it's not quite, it could be slightly better than a fourth because there is some offensive upside there, but it would be there's enough speed to kind of give it a third. So I I, I was really kind of impressed with what Howard Luck has brought into the and I mean I know neither one has any points and they they've seven games combined minus four combined no points, but it's just nice as well seeing something a little different uh, in that bottom six shuffle. So your top six when you lose a guy like Petey is only going to be effective if your bottom six also steps up. And so I yeah, give those two guys full credit for what they've done jumping into the lineup. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the Canucks looked like a more balanced team these last three games, top to bottom. Uh, even though guys like Howerlick and Michaelis haven't you know, found the back of the net or produced any points yet, those lines at least look like they could threat, threaten to put, uh, put up a goal for the Canucks, where before you weren't getting that off, especially off the fourth line. Yeah, good forecheck, and that's everything. And uh, that, and again, with these guys, with uh, where Mott is being so successful. Um, one other thing with Jake Vertanen, and actually, before I get into that, this uh, this sour is quite nice. So, uh, shout out to the guys over at R and B. I like the can New Brighton. New Brighton Park is one of my favorite places to bike to in the city as well. So, uh, just quick shout out there to the beer, Jake Vertanen. Now, I guess he's our Cy Young guy. He's got three goals, no assists, but I mean Brandon Sutter. Six goals, one assist, and Tyler Mott, five goals, one assist. We got a pretty good starting three right there, don't we? But I think we got to give the Cy Young right now to Jake Vertanen. Yeah, uh, I know Bo Horvat as well. I don't think he had too many assists on the year. I'm not exactly sure what his assist totals are. He's 11 and 9. Okay, so he's he he. I know for a while there he didn't he wasn't getting too many assists, but yeah, you always get these guys who have like you know 12 goals and two assists. Uh, it's always kind of funny. Uh, Jake's never been a setup guy or a playmaker in my opinion um and that's kind of the problem i think with uh, some of the bottom six players right now is they don't actually have playmakers brandon sutter he's got a great shot and he can score goals but you know he he's not a playmaker he doesn't generate offensive chances for his line mates uh, a lot of people say he does a better job shutting down his own line mates than he does the opposition <laughs> uh yeah that's well hey you know at least lately improvements whether he's a Canuck long term don't really know before we get into the Benning stuff one last guy I want to touch on we haven't really talked about him Quinn Hughes uh, who is still I believe third in the NHL in defenseman scoring right now Drew Doughty is all of a sudden right behind him which is uh which is crazy to see but uh Quinn Hughes is just behind Jeff Petrie or well technically he's tied with Petrie but Petrie's played five less games and Victor Hedman is one point ahead but again Hedman's got six games in hand on Quinn Hughes. So Hughes right near the top. I thought he had a really rough game against Montreal uh, overall. He still has those flashes of Hughes, but I I don't know. I I feel at times lately that he's been trying to do too much. uh, And because of that, it's leading to this minus 15 rating, which is worse on the team that he has. What do you, what are your thoughts of Hughes game over the last little while? And again, I'm not, uh, I'm not hard on Hughes. I love Hughes. He's a special player, but you talk about, you know, the Cy Young on the forwards. There's almost with him, it's the reverse, where he's got two goals and 21 assists. But I, I feel like, I, I just feel like there's the, 
teams know what he does more. He's under a lot more pressure, and I feel he's making a lot more defensive gaffes than he has in the past. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree that, you know, teams have scouted him a lot more and they kind of know and can predict what he's going to do with the puck compared to last year where there wasn't a ton of tape on him, uh, at least, you know, as far as, you know, NHL tape. Uh, I also wonder, and he look, he, he... He's the Canucks' best defenseman, right? Like, hands down, he's easily the Canucks' best defenseman. I know Schmidt has played a lot better recently, and he's probably overall been the Canucks' best defenseman. But Hughes, head and shoulders, is the best defenseman the Canucks have and is probably going to go down in history as the greatest defenseman in this team's franchise history. I I wonder if he's almost playing too much. I know last mm. night he was on the ice. Uh, they were tracking it uh, during the feed. He was on the ice for almost two minutes. I think it was in the overtime. He was like, he just oh, didn't was, come off. It was it was closer to three by the time that shift was done because there was a icing or or no, there was a rush and he jumped back into it. But it's like a three minute shift. Yeah, and look, he, I mean, the the kid seems to have you know uh, some great endurance, but obviously your body does fatigue and you are prone to make more mistakes and you know, you're tired and you don't get as much on your pass and you know, your, your edges aren't as sharp. And so I almost wonder if he's playing a little bit too much and that's why you're seeing, you know, some of these gaffes and some of these, you know, plays at the blue line where he trips and falls and you know, the opposition takes the puck the other way. That being said, you know, he's your best defenseman and your best players. You need to play your best players uh, to win games. And, yeah, the three-on-three overtime, I don't mind. Like, I wouldn't mind if Hughes played all five minutes. Like, he's (laughs) he's one of the best skaters. When he has that much room to work, you know, he can really make things happen. But I think overall, I do wonder if he's playing a little bit too many minutes at the moment. Yeah, it's possible. I think Nate Schmidt is perfectly suited for three on three as well. So maybe a bit more of a rotation, you know, maybe he used his three and a half and a five and Schmidt does one and a half just to give him some breathers. I don't think it needs to be quite all Hughes, but I, I think you make some really good points there and uh, about his ice time and maybe his shifts being a bit too long as well. Um, I wanted to get into the Benning stuff, the the press conference from Friday, which set everyone alight it started this whole thing on twitter about comparing canucks gms um which i think is it's kind of silly because each gm they they've got their pros and they got their cons they came into the organization at different periods of time and i i don't have anything against any of them i'm do i think benning has done everything well heck no but he's done some things well like like drafting but again we're, we're comparing different eras so this whole thing that's going on out there it, it's kind of funny to watch in my opinion but just focusing on on Benning uh, and and the press conference um I don't know if did, did you catch a lot of it Doug uh no just, I, ca- I caught bits and pieces yeah. of it I, I was working that day so I didn't actually get a chance to listen to it and oh no I wasn't actually what am I talking about I had last week off <laughs> I wasn't working um but no I, I missed it I was I was just out and about uh I had time off with the fiance and we were just kind of taking the dog out for hikes and stuff like that obviously yeah. I heard all the snippets of of it yeah. afterwards well that's all you really needed was the Coles notes version there was a lot of uh you know uh to quote the old song talking loud and saying nothing and uh I think that was what a lot of fans myself included were a little frustrated with is there's a lot of contradictory statements is like you know hey we're we're close but we also have to wait there's we need patience, but we're, we're there. Like, it, it just felt like there was a lot of mixed messages. One thing that I really took away from it is something that I think I'll, I'll, we've talked about a lot and a lot of fans have talked about is that there does seem to be ownership's hands all over a lot of these decisions. And I think some of the snippets from that interview prove that. Yeah, I mean, Benning said he talks to Aquilini almost on a daily basis, which blows my mind. Uh, and look, I get it. Like Aquilini is his boss and, you know, he's the owner of the company and all that stuff. But I mean, for the owner to to be discussing the future of the team as far as like roster moves and all that stuff almost daily or every other day is is kind of crazy. Um, we heard this going back to the Gillis era and, you know, Gillis being forced to hire John Tortorella. Uh, there was rumors that Gillis had a trade in place the year prior for Ryan Kessler, and that was squashed by ownership. So it's no surprise that Aquilini's, you know, 
involved in some of the day-to-day decisions. Uh, I know a lot of people keep talking about how the Canucks have one of the smaller front offices in the entire league. And a lot of mm-hmm. that seems to be blamed to Benning. And, you know, Benning's the one that's pushed all these people out. And, you know, maybe to a certain degree, he's pushed certain people out. But I also wonder, you know, the Aquilinis have been cutting costs for years now. Sure, they're still paying play, you know, they're still spending to the cap. But they're, they've been making costs in the organization in other areas. And you see that with, you know, the front office cuts they've made, some of the scouting uh, cuts they've made, um, some of the PR cuts they've made, all that stuff. So I definitely, definitely think uh, you can't put all that blame as far as the Canucks having one of the smaller front offices in the league all on Benning. I definitely think Aquilini's got his hands all over that and they're cutting costs wherever they can at the moment. Yeah, and it's too bad because I I do believe that one of the things this organization needs the most is uh, experienced president, director of hockey operations. I I look at what Pittsburgh just did with Brian Burke, and I know we've talked about this before, but a figure like that in this market, the the buffer in there that is between the ownership and the GM. And right now we have an office team of Benning and Wisebrod, and for me that doesn't instill a lot of confidence just having a short a small team like that and just going with ownership and that that's through the guys making your decisions and that for me is that's where my issue is uh with, with all of this I, I think you know credit to Benning he uh, was under a lot of fire there had a lot of tough questions I don't think the press conference did him or the organization any favors but at least he came out and talked about all this uh, even a guy like Travis Green not being under contract uh, next year that's it's it's a tough spot for the whole team but I, I I was frustrated with the press conference and I'm not a guy who is pro Benning or anti Benning I just found the whole thing really frustrating and in the interview as well with Scott Rintoul pushed him even more afterwards on Sportsnet 650 I I again I thought nice job by Scott there to to really push but we weren't really getting anything concrete out of anything we all just kind of left there we're like well what what is this organization's direction where are we going what is the plan is it immediate is it two years why if it's a, a long process why did all these moves happen and again for me the underlying thing that i really picked up was uh, it, ownership is is definitely confirming what i've thought for years uh, ownership is has got hands all over this organization which sounds silly it's like oh of course they right like they're the owners but that's not a good thing in professional sports no, I I completely agree. And you know what? Like one of the, I know there's a lot of people who don't like Benning and they feel like he's a bit of an imbecile. And I get it. You know, he has made some pretty stupid moves uh, throughout the years, but he has drafted relatively well. Probably the best GM period of drafting the Canucks have ever seen. I know a lot of people want to give all the credit to Judd Brackett, but, you know, Benning's still the guy who has final decision in all those picks. Some of them have been misses. Some of them, the majority of them, I think, have been above average draft picks as far as, like, making an impact and making, actually playing games for this team. But the one thing Benning has never been, never been, he's never been a good public speaker. And I actually almost feel bad for him because once Linden was pushed out and whether, you know, some people think that was Benning that pushed him out. I personally think it was Aquilini. I think Linden was stepping up to Aquilini and pushing back on what Aquilini wanted. I know there was rumors. And again, I don't necessarily agree with Linden, but there were rumors that Linden actually wanted to start PD in Utica. And he didn't think uh, PD was going to be ready to make the jump to the NHL. Um, And that narrative was being spun just before uh, the eventual, I guess, parting of ways, we'll say, between the Canucks and Linden. And I think that was him pushing back on Aquilini. And the one criticism I've always, always had of Jim Benning is he's always doing what he thinks is in his best interest to keep his job. And if that's making ownership happy, getting ownership more involved in certain personnel decisions, then, you know, that's always been, you know, his job security has always been his number one um, most important priority target priority. Mm. Thank you. It's Mm. always been his priority is his job security. And I feel bad for him. The other thing too is like, you know, and I know a lot of people hate John Weisbrod and he does. There's just something about that guy. I don't know what it is, but there's just something about him where he just seems kind of, kind of like he's a lightning rod. Yeah. He just seems sneaky. I don't know why, but he just seems like a guy that would like definitely like, what was the old Bobby Clark, um, 
Bobby Clark quote. He throws grandmother down the stairs if he thought he would get him an advantage. <laughs> Something like that. I remember Bobby Clark said that a few years ago. I forget who he was, who, who, who he was meaning by it. But, um, but Wise Broad never does any public speaking. He never, you know, does any interviews or anything like that. And we know Benning isn't a great public speaker. Um, he's not great. He, he often contradicts himself when he's, you know, has these media availabilities and then it's just sets Canucks Twitter and the Canuck fan base aflame. And I understand why there were certain things he was saying and you're just like, Oh yeah, you know, we just operate day to day. Well, that just yeah. goes to prove that you don't have an outlook and a, you're not looking forward at the future of this team and you're not thinking about, okay, how can we get better? I mean, I look at teams like Toronto and, you know, obviously Montreal this year where they still sell off their um, expiring contracts at the deadline if they think that they can get a returnable asset back. That doesn't mean that they've totally abandoned all hope in being a playoff team or progressing forward and being, you know, one of the premier teams in the league and going you know, game in, game out, trying to win a Stanley Cup. Good teams often sell off their expiring contracts at the deadline if they don't think they're going to be able to resign that player or if they don't have any plans to resign that player anyways. And that's never been kind of the way this management group seems to think. It's like if we're if we're going to trade Tanner Pearson at the deadline, then that means we've given up on the season altogether and we don't want to do that. We're not giving up on the season until we've been actually mathematically eliminated and it's just like that's not how good teams operate yeah saying to this fan base uh that we take things day to day uh is not the right thing to say because this fan base has been struggling for seven years eight years however long it's it's been a lot of this is like where where's the plan that's where i understand where the banning haters get really frustrated you you talked about the, the the deadline and we've said this before about the outside the box thinking which we have seen in other organizations in toronto and montreal are both great examples of that uh as well tanner pearson is one that's interesting i, I tweeted out some point last week and it got a lot of attention from canucks fans was uh, about tanner pearson and is it really the worst thing if the Canucks re-sign him? I like Tanner Pearson as a player, but there is a good argument to be made that maybe you find another guy just like Tanner Pearson who's going to be cheaper. And is it worth doubling down on a, a three-year, $7.5 million deal for Pearson when you're not really sure he's the guy where you could trade him at the deadline and get some sort of assets back, uh, which again goes into what I was saying before about the value of draft picks this year. I don't think that this is a year you necessarily are going for draft picks this year. You, you want draft picks in years after this, or you want a, an actual prospect and something that's a sure thing that you that you know what you're getting. So there is that thought with, with Tanner Pearson as well. The Canucks do need to be ready, though, that if a couple weeks out, they still have everyone else has all these games in hand and they're they're not going to make the playoffs. The Canucks do need to look at shipping out guys, including Tanner Pearson. If they like him that much, they can look at trying to re-sign him. Hey, that's great. But, you know, Brandon Sutter, that's a guy that someone might like or Jordy Ben as well. You know, I don't know if Edler or Hamannick would wave, but it's something that the team has to look at, although. Just kind of leading into uh, quickly here with Elliot Friedman, Doug. He, he was reporting today that teams are interested not in any of those guys, but it's Tyler Mott and Nate Schmidt who are getting the attention from other GMs. Well, yeah, I mean, it makes sense, right? I mean, those are two really good players. I mean, I mean Tanner Pearson, I think there was a report earlier that apparently the Phoenix Coyotes had interest in acquiring Tanner Pearson. I definitely think of the tradable assets that I think the Canucks should trade, I think Tanner Pearson tops that list for me. Um, I know there's a lot of people who thought that, you know, the Canucks should be trading JT Miller, which, again, I still think is ridiculous. Uh, I don't want to trade Nate Schmidt. Uh, I think he's gotten better and better as the season's gone on. I know some people are still a little bit uncomfortable about his $5.75 million contract for the next, I believe it's four years after this year. Um, but I don't want to trade Nate Schmidt. Uh, Tyler Mott, I believe, is an RFA again after the end of this year. Um, I like Mott. I think he's been a fan favorite this past year, especially in the bubble last year. You know, Mott really stepped up his game, and he's that perfect kind of bottom six player that this team so desperately needs at the moment. Once guys like Russell and Beagle and Sutter are no longer on this team, you want guys like Mott filling in that role. So he's a guy I don't want to trade either, but he's not a, you know, it's not like, oh, I would never trade Tyler Mott. I mean, if you got the right offer, I mean, if a team offered a first round pick for Tyler Mott, I would probably pull the trigger on that. 
So Mott's got one more year after this, and then he's UFA. So that that is something to consider uh, as well. But yeah, you, you never say no to anything. I'm not on the trading Nate Schmidt or JT Miller wagon here either. I, I just I think they're good pieces for this organization. I can see why people want to trade them. It's because you could flip a third rounder that you essentially paid for Schmidt into something else. But I I'm not on board with any of that. So, Doug, I know we we're running a bit out of time here. I wanted to touch on the Utica Comets because there are some kids down there as well who are really turning heads. And I know the one you wanted to start with is Jack Rathbone. who has got a goal and four assists in the three games he's played. Yeah, I mean, Rathbone's looked amazing. He stepped right into the Utica Comets lineup, and obviously he hadn't played for what was almost two months. He was on the taxi squad. He was still practicing with the team, but he wasn't getting any actual game action. And he's gone down there, and he's made an immediate impact for the comments which is great uh he's you know driving the play he's putting up points and he's looking like a guy who will definitely have a uh, spot on this in the Canucks lineup next year potentially he might be the other replacement that we're all you know thinking about yeah there's a good chance that Rathbone does come up with the team Jonah Gadjevich seven goals in eight games he's playing well Linus Carlson over in Europe I wanted to give a shout out to him because he's been almost point a game for the last 30 or 40 games or something, all of a sudden that trade is looking a lot better than it did at the time when we gave up, uh, what's his name? Uh, Pedersen's old buddy. Uh, Dolan. Dolan, right. Yeah, Dolan. Um, I remembered as soon as I asked you, I, it, it finally came to me. Uh, Cole Lynn continues to look good. A guy the Canucks have to consider with the expansion draft. Lucas Yasik has also played well. Um, Jet Wu, he's playing down there. Hasn't picked up a point yet, but he's he's getting his, first, his feet wet with some pro hockey as well. So there is some... Good stories going on down in Utica this year. Uh, some great people to follow out there on Canucks Twitter. Uh, our friend Fantu uh, Abbey is a great one. Uh, Comets Corey, another great one. There's there's some good people out there putting out some Comet stuff. Uh, of course, our buddy Chris Faber as well has been following a lot of the prospects as well, especially Pod Colson over in Russia, who, again, that's another guy coming. Uh, he's the big boy. So lots of good stuff with the prospects we'll we'll have to do uh, some more prospect diving i think in the next few weeks doug because it is interesting to see where some of these guys are right now lucas yasik's a guy i'm quite excited about yeah i mean uh i've liked yasik's game down in uh utica and uh, pod coles in, in theory i mean we could see him in the next uh, month and a half or so here as contracts up april 30th i believe it is so the canucks can sign him right after that and all by all counts they will so we may get some pods this year, but if not this year, next. And uh, again, that's uh, another piece for top nine. That's once. It's got to be the last year I start. I I keep talking about top six. <laughs> Shall we take this into the free pour? Let's do it. All right, it's that time of the episode. It's the free pour open floor segment, and I'm just gonna jump into mine, and I'm gonna talk about uh a band that I discovered from the UK. Uh, I heard a couple of their tracks a couple of months ago, and then their album, their debut album finally dropped. Uh, it's called, they're called New Country Black Road. And yeah, I don't know. They're almost like a, a noise art rock band. Um, the singer is like very esoteric and he almost like, spoken word the way he sings but they've got some amazing jazz influences and they got like a horn section and i'm absolutely loving the album check them out black country new road a uh, really cool band from the uk and uh, they're really blowing up at the moment i'll, I'll give them a listen working from home i'll uh, i'll i'll chuck that on uh for me um and it's been an interesting couple of weeks. Um, this may be my last week of working with you, Doug. I don't know yet. So it's been, I've, I've had a lot going on. It's been uh, very, very trying. Um, but today I just got a really nice package from a bunch of friends of mine. I had no idea what it was. I saw a key in my record bin, or my record bin. I saw a key in my post bin, and I thought, hey, oh, this is a record I ordered, even though the record is supposedly not getting here till April 26th. Don't even get me started with that. Um, but it's this nice box. A bunch of friends of mine got me some stuff because I knew I was having a rough time. I just kind of had a glance in it because I just tore it open before we got in here, but there's like painting and socks and coffee, and I think there's some joints in there too, and I'm guessing I think there's a couple beers in there. But anyways, shout out to my friends. That was really nice. Uh, it certainly helped. Uh, this has been a... Uh, it's been a, a roller coaster of a week 
or two or three, but uh, that's been quite nice. So shout out to all y'all back in Victoria and London, and uh, I think it's mostly Victoria and London on there. So thanks, guys. Oh, and uh, Bowen Island. Or not Bowen Island, sorry. Uh, Denman Island. I would say it's been a roller coaster of a year, Pete. But uh, yeah, um, sure obviously, uh, I think all of us have been struggling a little bit. And yeah, I'm sorry to hear that as well. And that's really cool that uh, a group of your friends put together a little care package for you. Uh, it sounds pretty awesome. It is. I'll, I'll get into it more uh, as the night goes on, I'm sure. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 67, just about in the books. A lot to cover, Doug. I know we, we probably could have gone on and on on a few more topics there, but we had to keep the show on track, and uh, hopefully the Canucks can keep things on track as well. Yeah, I mean, I got to say, Pete, uh, you know, uh, you had me a little bit worried at the beginning of the episode when you said you had a macchiato and then you were cracking a beer just as the, we hit record there, but... Uh, I would say it was solid effort all around, man. You were easily, you know, uh, a strong eight to a late nine for this episode. Uh, you know, you weren't jittery at all, man. Uh, yeah, I think the macchiato beer combo uh, really suited you well. I needed it. I needed the pick me up and then the, the level out. Um, shout out to your dog as well, Doug. Uh, Lila was making a, a heck of a lot of noise there, but she seems to be under control for for now. But yeah, just uh, give her a shout out. I, I, I could hear her. I didn't see her at all, which is unfortunate, but I could hear her. Yeah, I was trying to distract her with a bully, so I gave her a bully and put her in the room, and then she came out here twice with the bully in her mouth, wanting me to hold it for her. I'm like, no, I'm not going to hold this for you. And then she decided to sit on the floor here, and we got hardwood floors in my apartment, and she's chewing it and chomping it right next to the computer. So we had to take a little pause break, and I had to take it off her, and then she had a giant drink. So we'll see if your editing skills can uh, hopefully uh, quell most of those sounds be a lot of muting o- over there as well i wonder if i wonder if she thinks like well, who the hell is this guy talking to what's daddy doing here like there's no one's home mom's not here like who the heck is daddy talking to occasionally just starts yelling into the microphone about some guy i've never heard of it is weird because often uh if i'm just sitting here watching tv she just doesn't bother me but as soon as we start recording i don't know what it is she just yeah she's in my face pawing at me jumping up on the couch i'm just like holy cow man you know you you weren't giving me this affection an hour ago when i was doing nothing jealous dogs jealous doggos uh you can find me i'm at pete underscore gas on the twitter machine you can also find this beat we are adding this to the Canuck speakeasy outro playlist that is on spotify lots of good tunes on there highly recommend you guys go check it out we kind of keep it with a hip-hop funk theme got a lot of different loves for music but uh this one it's all kind of hip-hop funk so go and check that out be sure to give the podcast a follow on Twitter at Canucks Speak. Give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. As always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego.